Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Hello, it's me, Dana Marie, and I wanted to give you the recipe for this cocktail that I made for my um, friend Caleb for the podcast today. So if you want to make it at home, I would highly recommend. Um, it's uh, I've done it for dinner party and it was like people were asking for seconds. So um, it is uh, Plymouth Slow Gin, which is like a purple gin and it looks really cool and it tastes really delicious. And um, yeah, when you think of gin, obviously you don't think purple, but if you buy it in the store, uh, it will be purple. And it, um, I've got um, about an ounce and a half of Plymouth Slow Gin. And then on top of that, you would add some limoncello, which limoncello is one of my just favorite liqueurs or spirits, or I just, I like to dream that I live in Italy and drink it by itself over ice. And it's so incredible. Um, my friend, Nicole Higgins made, made some, has made some, and hers is also very delicious, but I love limoncello in drinks. I love it by itself, but you would add, a, um, about an ounce to an ounce and a half, depending on how lemony you like it, um, to the drink. And then you would get a lemon and do like a half, half of a lemon and just like squeeze that in there. And then I do like a lemon slice, you know, for a garnish, but, um, yeah, just throw some fresh squeezed lemon in there. And then I top it off with tonic water and voila, it's, um, got a name. The one I did for dinner party had rosemary in it and it was called something else, but I think we just called it the welcome drink, <laughs> but no real, uh, official name, but it is, um, really delightful and it's, you know, kind of like a gin and tonic cause it is gin and tonic and lemon, but, um, yeah, it's got a lot of flavor and it's really good. So that is the drink. And my guest today on this podcast is um, Caleb Harrell. And I have known him. I knew his wife, but I've known him since he's they started Hawkers. Um, and I, I don't know him like super close, super well, but I um, have been um, around his wife some and I just have really admired what he has built and kind of seen hawkers grow from the ground up, which they have now 
seven restaurants, which is incredible. Um, they started, um, if you're in Orlando, I'm sure you have been to the one on Mills. Um, if you haven't, then <laughs> you should go. But they have seven open um, restaurants and they've got three in the works. Um, and full disclosure, um, they have sponsored a bunch of stuff with Dinner Party Project and been super generous towards us, um, which has always been a pleasure. And I think one reason I wanted to interview Caleb was I feel like there's such a, like a, a great culture within hawkers and people seem to really like working there. Um, which obviously you should like where you, where you work and restaurants sometimes, um, have a feeling of just, you know, people kind of checking in, doing their jobs and not really, um, passionate about what they do. But I, I really find whenever I'm in a hawkers eating there or have obviously worked with them and their team, they've got a really positive, um, team and people seem to really want to be there. And so I just thought I love what they built and how they built it and, um, what they brought to Orlando and their food is also amazing. I could eat their roti for my entire life. <clears throat> I have to, I have to watch it because, Oh, it's so good. But anyway, um, I hope that you will love today's episode. I really enjoyed chatting with Caleb and I think that you will learn a lot as I did. And yeah, let me know what you think in the comments and enjoy. Welcome Caleb to Cocktails and Conversation. Thank you so much for being here on this lovely uh, mid-afternoon for some day drinking with me. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Thanks for being for here. Me. Salute. Yes, salute to you. Yes. Glee. Cheers. Ta-da! Um, so this afternoon I put together super, super easy, super delicious, very summery um, drink that probably still has a name. So maybe we'll name it... Mm. Uh, yeah, the welcome cocktail here mm -hmm. in the welcome house. Mm -hmm. um, so it is the Plymouth Slow Gin, which is a purple gin. Super interesting, delicious. Gin is my is one of my absolute favorite top spirits. So I am always keen to make something with gin. Uh, limoncello, also my favorite. Fresh squeezed lemon juice and tonic water. So nice and light and summery. Delicious. And pretty delicious. And kind of easy. I feel like this could... Super I easy. I feel like I could have like four of these and not know, know. it. And then the it's podcast would get really interesting right after that. It's going to get really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gin is always a danger because uh -huh. they're just so easy to drink, especially gin and tonics. But um, yeah, gin is definitely one of my favorites for sure. Plymouth is amazing. So as cocktails is one of my favorite topics, um, I would love to kind of hear what your favorite go-to drink is. It doesn't have to be cocktails, but like, what would you go if you're, what's your go-to thing that you would order? Um, so for me, it, uh, it, I, I'm, I'm, I rotate through, I rotate through cycles. Okay. And so I've had, uh, I've had a beer phase where I was really into craft beers and like, wanted to know everything about craft beers, wanted to explore all the different craft beers all the way up to sours and all the kind of weird stuff. Okay. Um, actually that was kind of where I left it off was like farmhouse ales, which I really got into for a little while. Then I went into a wine phase. Okay. And I'm just kind of coming out of my wine phase. Um, but I still love wine. I think wine is, I love the culture around wine and how it's okay. a culture. People that are into wine are always into learning and wanting you have to, to be absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, and wanting to, um, 
I mean, there's just endless, there's endless combinations. There's almost endless varietals. There's endless blends that you can put together. Mm-hmm. There's endless pairings. Uh, I love, I love the way wine works with food and I love exploring that part of it too. So I feel like the, re- the real answer would be, um, what's the occasion? So if it's, I'm Fair having enough. a delicious meal. Okay. Usually I'll start off with a cocktail and it's typically gin based. Good call. Um, and then I'll move on to maybe a glass of white wine. And then maybe I'll move into like a really great dry red wine. And then I'll probably end with like four or five more cocktails. <laughs> that's a heck of a day, but it's, it's, uh, it's a good line. It's a solid lineup. Yeah, that's a good lineup. Solid lineup. Sounds like you know a lot about wine. Uh, I know a little bit here and there. I've, um, I've been studying a little bit for the intro some sommelier, uh, testing. And okay. so I think I talked to you a little before about it a yes. little bit, but, uh, it's, it's totally different. I say that and people are like, Oh wow, you're going to be a Psalm. That's yeah. amazing. Sounds very but, impressive. Um, it is not that impressive. The first level yeah. is not impressive at all. Uh, I am not like, so I, I can't even like, I won't even be able to say, Oh, I'm a Psalm. I wouldn't even say that. I would just say, Oh yeah, I've, I've studied with Psalms because advanced Psalm, master Psalm, these guys are next level. It's they're, endless. Yeah. Their yeah, knowledge base absolutely. is incredible. Um, the one I would be looking at is kind of the, they call it an intro, I believe it's introductory or introduction level. Okay. And it's like a, it's like a two to three day class. You do a two day class and the third day is a test and you should come in with a knowledge base of some kind, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it, they teach, they also teach you a lot of it. So it's, it's almost more of like a, um, I would just say it's something to, to kind of get you into the Psalm environment Right. And see if it's see if it's something that you want to commit to maybe an advanced psalm that you might take six months to study for. Really or dig a master in. psalm that might take five years to study for. Good lord. Yeah. 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 I mean, any of that sounds pretty impressive. So I would still use that as like a a, a party trick to just mm-hmm. casually shop that you're just yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm on my way to be a master psalm, so don't worry about it. But uh, <laughs> probably no more than you. No, no big deal. I wish that I loved wine because I know that it adds so much to a meal. And I just can't. I've um, I've tried it over the years, and and I get a, a hard time from my friends. But it's yeah, it's just I've, I I wish that I had grown have grown an appreciation for it because it's it's a, I think a beautiful way to enhance a meal. But I just can't. The closest that I like to wine, which is which is not wine, so everybody can calm down. But um, I really love Manischewitz. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like an elevated grape juice, but yeah. um, that's probably as close or like a port. Ports are great. Ports are great. There's uh there are some really good dessert wines that I think are are um, overlooked a lot. Okay. Kind of underrated. Because most uh, most people that are like, ew, gross. It's so like you know sickly sweet, and they just you know reject yeah. it because it's not like a I don't know. We went, uh, my wife, Jill and I went to Italy a couple years ago and we hit, mm-hmm. we hit wineries. This was pre-child. This is something that now we can't do and we can't do anything anymore because we have a one-year-old. So, um, not for a little while, not forever. Not for, yeah. Yes. But, uh, and we hit, we hit a lot of the vineyards. That was our kind of our whole purpose for going there was going to the Tuscany region and mm-hmm. the county region. And, um, a couple of the, one of the vineyards specifically specialized in Vinsanto, which is, it's basically the Italian, the Italian dessert wine or Italian sweet wine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is, it is one of the most highly rated wines that's, it's ever been produced. It's, uh, I mean, you're talking $50 a glass. Like this stuff is very, very like it's expensive. It's, it's luxurious. It's, yeah. And, Good Lord. and over there it's a, it's a big deal. And so sure. um, I think like that to me is like, 
dessert wines, I think often are, or sweet wines in general are often like given a bad rap, but there's some really incredible ones. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. So maybe you are into wine. I'm into wine very slightly. Yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I would love to get more into it, but right now it's, it's still limited to the, to the dessert wines. There you go. Um, so if you were to have, um, a cocktail, I know that you have a great cocktail menu at Hawker's. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite on your, on your menu currently? That's a great question. Um, again, it kind of depends on the occasion. I hate to say that. I know it's like a cop out answer, mm-hmm. but if I'm there during the day, and I'm not working, of course. Um, I would probably, honestly, at least in the summertime, I would go with one of our tiki cocktails. So we've got a okay. few. And our tiki cocktails are not that, like, you know how some drinks, especially tiki ones, can be super sweet. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have almost that false sweet flavor, like kind of like syrupy. Mm-hmm. And so we've tried really hard to Anything keep them. Anything syrupy is really yeah, it's, a huge bummer. It's yucky. Yeah. Um, and so we've tried to make them more based on the fresh fruits that are involved and uh, some of them are even like one of them has Campari in it. So it's got like this really okay. cool, um, interesting bitterness to it. That right. Just I was going to say pretty strong. Yeah. Strong flavor. Yeah. So I would you say one with mango. I think that I tasted. Yeah. We have, I think that's the non-alcoholic, right? So we have the, um, right. the mango lassi, which is a, yes, it's, it's a, it's a play on a lassi drink, which is a, a tr- traditional Indian drink. That's a yogurt based mm-hmm. drink. Um, that one is non-alcoholic. It's a mocktail, but, um, right. But you could add alcohol to any of those. So. Yes. That was it. really interesting. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by that. I remember mm-hmm. when our, our beverage guy brought it to me and I was like, you want to put yogurt in a cocktail? I don't know about this. And then I tried it. And I was like, Oh, this is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. It, it reads more of, yeah, like a lighter smoothie when I think cocktail than a cocktail, but it's mm-hmm. also very, I spent some time in the Maldives. Oh, cool. And so they would have mango latte, like, you know, you could just have it, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was something that I got all the time and mm-hmm. fell in love with. Nice. I love mango is one of my all time favorite fruits. So mm-hmm. delicious. It was, it was delicious. Very good. So you would probably go with the tiki. Yeah. Drink. During, during the day, I would definitely go tiki. If I was going at night, um, hot summer night, I would go with the, uh, gin rickshaw. Uh, it's, it's one that's been on our cocktail list since day one, but I love it. It's a, it's a play on a gin Ricky. It's okay. it's basically it's got gin, it's got fresh cucumber juice, got a little lime in there, mm-hmm. uh, and then topped with some um, some sparkling wine. So ah, um, there's it's that wine. Super fresh. You can drink a ton of them, and they're not overly. I mean, you know, maybe don't drink a ton, but right. they're, they're not they're not <laughs> super heavy. Responsibly, yeah, absolutely. Um, not super heavy, but also not super high in alcohol, so you can kind of enjoy it throughout mm-hmm. the night. Um, if it's and I really, I really am this guy. Like if it's like, if it's about 55 degrees or below, All right. I'm switching over to bourbon and that's, or at least like a darker, a darker a brown spirit, spirit, brown spirit. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so then I'm probably going to, uh, probably going to our, I got five on it, which is our play on an old fashioned. Okay. Um, it's a, it's an old fashioned, but it's made with five spice infused simple syrup. Mm. Um, so we, we obviously make that in house. We make our own syrup, any of our own simples. Um, but it's just, it gives it, I mean, bourbon and, and, uh, and all those brown liquors, you, when you mix those with things like cinnamon, cardamom, star anise, like they're, all, they just kind of go together naturally. So you get this yes. really great fall cocktail. For our it's, fall weather that we have here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should, I should have said for the four days a year that it's 55 or low. Right. That's what I go to. Yeah. yeah. So 
So on a rare night that you would have off and maybe you were going to grab a cocktail that wasn't at Hawker's, do you have mm-hmm. a place, a spot or two around town that you, that mm-hmm. you enjoy yeah. grabbing a drink? That's easy. That's easy. That's easy. Okay. Guest house, phenomenal. Fair enough. The courtesy, yep. phenomenal. And then if I'm looking for food yes. and cocktails, I love Prado. I think, just think they have a, everything they do is fantastic. Agreed. Wow. Those are some pretty, pretty heavy it, hitters. I know. I almost feel like it's like, those are the easy ones, right? That's like what I feel like everybody's answer would be those. There often are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But when you have like a, a, somewhere that has a great craft and they're doing it well, then it obviously attracts the people that know what great cocktails should be. So those are really great answers. Mm-hmm. Um, Guest House did a Negroni week um, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're around for that or saw that. But I was not, yeah. That, like, stuff like that is just incredible to me. And they, they put so much time and energy. And you can tell every one of their cocktails has got some love in it. Like mm-hmm. they're, they, they love what they're doing. And, Absolutely. And I think they go hand in hand. They're great at their craft and they love what they're doing. And so they end up with fantastic product. Have you been to the Sunroom yet? I have. You have? Yeah. It's super cool. Beautiful. Super cool, yep. yeah. Uh, and Really incredible drinks. Their beverage program there is just awesome. Really solid. Off the charts. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. They really know what they're doing. I love people like yourself and and their team that are just elevating the city with the craft and what they do and mm-hmm. have like really solid places that you know every time you're going to get this like amazing experience and they're elevating uh, what we have to offer, which is making Orlando, I think, like a more desirable place. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously people come for the attractions, but knowing what we have over here are kind of on this side of town is also um, such a beautiful addition and what we need to just keep on growing the city yeah, stronger. I see more and more articles. One just came out in Newsweek, right, uh, yesterday, but I see them more often now over the last year or two of uh, it's basically the what to do in Orlando besides the theme parks mm-hmm. type articles. And I know we've all seen them, but um, I feel like it's becoming more and more of a thing. And even... We travel a lot. I have to travel a lot for work and sure. as we're opening in different cities. And I feel like even five years ago when I would travel to a new city and say, oh, where are you from? Oh, yeah, that's cool. How, you go to Disney all the time? Like, you know, that was the question. Fair and enough. I feel like even in the last five years, that sentiment has changed a little bit. And those the questions I get asked now or the comments that are made are like, oh, yeah, I hear Orlando is pretty cool. Like things like that. Yeah. So kind of a little bit of surprise in their voice, which is fine. I'm OK mm-hmm. with that. Um, but it's not just about, oh, so you must have annual passes, right? which, which we do. It's great to have, but it's not what it's all about. Right. right. Our, hu- our larger per- perception for forever has been the theme parks, but we've seen it grown and develop over the past five to six years. And then, you know, just it's like getting that out to the far reaches of the world. You know, you can go to like Shanghai or Russia and they're going to know Orlando for that. But I mean, we are just kind of slowly putting out all the PR to say, Hey, mm-hmm. come and see the other half of Orlando and all the things that we have to offer. There's this cool thing called the dinner party project. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that? Uh, it's, you just have to look it up. Okay. I don't know if you're, you kind of have to be pretty cool to like be on the, in, in the, in the know for fair it. enough, fair enough. But I'm yeah. sure I could, I know, I know somebody that can probably, introduce you to. Yeah, we made that happen. But there's uh, <laughs> you guys do an awesome job with that. And I think Thanks. programs like that. In fact, I got a call not too long ago from someone in Atlanta that said, hey, I'm looking to do something like this. And I and I found this thing called the Dinner Party Project based in Orlando. Huh. And it was like a, almost like a model for them that they want to like, this is so cool. And da, da, da. Right. And, um, so they found so, us in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. 
It's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it goes farther than that. We'd love to grow to some other cities, too. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to figure out how to scale the scalability of things. Working on it. Um, so I think that I've, I've met you um, through your wife, mm-hmm. obviously, um, before. I think maybe before you were part of Parker's. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time because mm-hmm. I've known Jillian for forever. Yeah. Really a long time. Summit, maybe? I never went to Summit, but okay. I think I knew People her. At Summit. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking yesterday, I was like, how did I initially meet you? And then how did I... I know it was through Jillian, but I was trying to think about my first connection with... And I think it was through People at Summit. Yeah. That whole... All those circles. So a lot has obviously changed in, in a lot of years uh, on both of our ends. But I was excited to kind of invite you in and, and, and chat about your story and just kind of hear a little bit... Of it's interesting because there's so many factors that kind of shape us into the person that we become as adults, and then from there, as adults, we get to shape and change more of our trajectory within life. Um, but I think it's so fascinating to kind of like, you know, our family of origin um, that we arrive in shapes us. The DNA that we've been given kind of shapes us. Um, I would love to kind of know and hear what it was like growing up in your household. Hmm. Wow, that's a deep question. Who were question. your parents? Yeah. What, where were you in the birth um, order? Okay. So uh, I was—I have a, an older sibling, an older sister. She's okay. 11 years older than me. So That's a pretty big... Pretty big gap. Yep. Um, were you surprised? Uh, or... I think it's, it was second marriage stuff. Okay. So. Got it. Um, but uh, she was and still is like a second mom to me. I, I just was talking about this this morning, actually, in the office. It's ironic. And in fact, her birthday was yesterday. So happy birthday, sis. Okay. Uh, I won't say how old she is, but she's 11 years older than me. So (laughs) got her by 11 years. That's right. Um, So growing up, uh, it was kind of awesome because I had this, I I don't know how to say it, but like this really cool mom, Mm -hmm. like, right. I mean, she was, she was, uh, she was in high school and I was in at that age where you're looking up to people in high school saying, wow, they're so cool. Uh, And she was cool. And um, she's kind of still cool. Maybe. Lucked out in that department. Totally lucked out. Yeah. Uh, she used to, so as much as she loved me, as much as she, she loved taking care of me, um, I can remember when she was like 18. So would that make me seven? No, nine. Um, so I'd be, you know, eight or nine years old and she would come home and, and watch me in the afternoons after school. Okay. And she would say, Hey, I want to go up to Taco Bell to meet some friends, but she didn't really want to be seen with like her little brother. So she would put sunglasses on me and I was a, I was a pretty big kid. Like I was always kind of like bigger than the other kids in class, taller than other kids. So okay. she would put sunglasses on me. All right. She would throw a phone booth on this, on the seat. And then she would oh. ride around like I wasn't her little brother. Like I was some cool <laughs> high school kid and I loved it. And she had this car that had T-tops and we would like pull the T-tops down Heck and yes. head over to Taco Bell. And I thought I was the, literally the coolest. The jam. Yeah. Yeah. It was the jams. Um, so that was a big, I mean, I have lots of memories of that. Um, it was middle class home, like okay. full on middle class. We were, Was it in Florida? Did you grow up in oh, Florida? Yeah. It was in uh, Winter Haven. So it was oh, about an hour yeah. south there. Yeah. Okay. Super close. I have um, friends that grew up around there. Polk County. Polk County. We don't, we don't call it by cities. We call it by counties. Yeah. From Polk County. Mm-hmm. I remember when Polk County got its first Walmart. I remember when Polk County got, or Winter Haven, I should say, got its first Walmart. I remember when we got our first Olive Garden. Um, we just got a Chick-fil-A and Starbucks mm-hmm. in the last, you know, five or six years. And that's a big deal for coming women. up in the world, man. Seriously. Polk County. Um, remember going to the mall and, uh, 
walking around for looking at Walden books and uh, getting an Orange Julius and uh, Birdines. Remember Birdines. Remember that store? Wow. Taking it back. Yeah. I lived in um, Lakeland oh, okay. for one year when I very first moved to Florida so in 1999 okay. to 2000. Um, I lived in Lakeland for one year. And, uh, that was the big city. Yeah. So I, I was the big city to your winter haven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really was. My grandparents. <laughs> books a million. Books a million. I yeah. worked at Ruby Tuesdays. Ooh. Very, for a brief part of my, yep. Such a I'm good salad I'm just dating bar. myself, but that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, we were, uh, my dad was, my dad is a chiropractor, um, and he, he did, he did pretty well. He was, um, he had his own practice and my mom actually worked in his practice and okay. worked with him, which had its pros and cons as you could expect. Right. Family business. Yeah. Family yeah. business. Um, so I grew up in the entrepreneurial environment. I grew up in work is life. Not, not like, mm. like I didn't grow up in a family where you clock out of work. I grew up in a family where you're always work is integrated into your life mm-hmm. and they weren't workaholics. I mean, we, we took family vacations and we did fun things, but I think there was always this, always this undertone of work ethic of, well, we have to, we have to make sure that we're prioritizing our business and the things that we need to get done so that we can enjoy the things that we want to do as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that was, if I had to like pin something to, you know, what's made me who I am today, I would say that it's growing up in that entrepreneurial family. Wow. I mean, I, from day one, when I was 16, I was like, I'm going to own my own business. I don't, I can't work for somebody. Sure. It's just kind of who I was. So. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of uh, along the lines of my story as well. Okay. Um, I think when you see that model that you don't have to like do the nine to five and check in and check out. And when you can do something that is going to impact your world. Um, I think that was a really strong, like, that left such a strong impression on me that, um, I mean, all the work that it takes to get there, but, uh, it doesn't have to be like a, just one, one thing or, or the normal thing. Like you can do something unique and different. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think seeing that modeled was a huge influence in my life as well. So I totally, totally understand that. Yeah. So what was uh, Caleb like in like middle school and high school? Oh, wow. Your sister had already flown the coop, I'm sure, by this she, time. My sister got all the cool genes in the family, and I was a huge dork. <laughs> so I was a dweeb in middle school. Really? Um, at least at least in elementary and middle school. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty dorky. Okay. Um, I think I, I lucked out because... I was, like I said, I was, I was one of the, I was just one of the taller kids in class. And so the coaches always wanted me to play something. So I did play sports. Okay. But I was, it took me a long time to like grow into my size 13 feet. So I was pretty clumsy. I was pretty goofy. I'm still kind of goofy, but right. um, it really wasn't until high school that I kind of like came out of my shell and uh, mm. probably about ninth, 10th grade. That was when I was like, oh, you know what? I, I can... I could talk to girls. Yeah. They're not so bad or whatever the case, you know, sure. Um, at the 10th grade, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's about Um, the time you should be. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I I think that was when I really started like building friendships, friendships that I still have today. That's when I actually met one of the founders, Wayne, who I'm literally in business with now. And Mm -hmm. he and I met when I was in ninth grade and, uh, yeah, way back, way back. 
um, kind of, I don't know, just kind of built those lifelong friendships. And there's guys, Bill and Daniel, and there's guys that, um, you know, that I grew friendships with back then that I think that was kind of started, started, that was sort of in my life when I started to realize a little bit about who I was and mm-hmm. where my life was headed. I just think for me, at least middle school was just a, a just I didn't even know what was going on. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out. As mo- yeah, most of us. Oh, uh, it was horrible. Mi- uh, middle school was horrible. Seventh grade, is, uh, except for 2018, was probably the worst year of my life. <laughs> Seventh grade is so tough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's bad. I just remember being like so traumatized yeah. by middle school. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But lots of uh, lots of sports. I was really into sports in high school. Um, I was never like the best athlete, but I was I was always like decent you know sure. i would get to uh, i might get like all county stuff in football once in a while but um nothing beyond that and i did as i went into college i thought about um actually i loved sports i still love sports and i love the the team environment like that's what i've always liked about sports is that you can you win as a team you lose mm. as a team mm-hmm. um and i was really into football at the time and i thought about playing football in college and i got I got recruited by some really, really small colleges. I mean, like places you never even heard of. Um, and I thought, oh, well, this could be fun. And then, uh, and then went to UCF and walked on there and oh. kind of wow, I took a shot at it for, cool. you know, it was like, it was like three days. It was like oh, three. <laughs> short lived. Okay. Um, and it, I just realized at that point, like, you know what, this is not, it's not going to be my career. I'm not like, this is not where my gifts the trajectory are. trajectory that I want to yeah. go in. Yeah. A and, life um, sports. Yeah. And so that was kind of when things went more the social side of college, which hmm. I'm, I'm thankful for. It was, it was a great time. So at UCF. Yep. Okay. Yep. What did you major in? Finance. God bless. God bless you. Well, that makes you that makes for a very great businessman because obviously that's um, a huge key component for growing a business is finance. Yeah, I uh, ironically I cannot stand accounting. Okay, but I like so I'm a a creative minded person. But I uh, and a lot of people don't if you if you're not around finance a lot you you don't realize this, but um, really finance the, the finance part of money and numbers is more about being creative it's more about the creative side mm-hmm. of numbers um so creativity and numbers has always been really interesting to me like statistics creativity and, and numbers yeah, okay weird right no that's great that um, we need people that are creative in all in all aspects and being in business i mean to have somebody that has that knowledge you know and that you would have an interest in that mm-hmm. as is like a huge asset to growing a business mm-hmm. and figuring out how to be creative in that, in that realm. Yeah. That's it's been really fun. So not me, but, um, <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, um, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> this episode of cocktails in conversation is brought to you by the welcome house. The welcome house is an Airbnb in Orlando, Florida that loves to host people in small gatherings. It's got everything you need to relax and entertain, including your own private entrance to the spacious room with its own full bathroom and living room area. It also includes access to the large pool and an outdoor dining area. This spot is perfect to restore and renew. And if you're coming into town for the attractions, they are only 20 minutes away. And you can also get to the beach in under an hour. So if you are looking for a staycation or coming to enjoy all that Orlando has to offer, the Welcome House is your perfect place to stay. Just search the Welcome House on Airbnb. 
Um, so as we grow and develop into things that like you kind of were figuring out like what you were, you were interested in, what you wanted to move towards and head towards. And like you said, you kind of wanted to be somebody that would be able to have work for themselves ish, um, and create something, um, in your adult life, has there been something that you've been really proud of doing? Mm. Um, I mean, the obvious answer is hawkers. That's I'm super proud of what we built, and I could talk for days about that. Mm-hmm. Just because we, it's really not about um, number of stores or top line revenue. It's about building something that's going to last and building something that's meaningful. Mm. And, you know, you hear Steve Jobs used to say, make a dent in the world and um, kind of that whole like leaving your mark thing. And I'm sure you will comment on this when we get to our Enneagram portion of the segment. Mm -hmm. But I that's the part of the reformer. Is that the yeah, yeah. the one Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the part that I related really? I mean, that that's who that's me. Like, I want to change the world. I want to leave a lasting impact. And so. I love it. Yeah. So I'm trying to do that myself and my partners and the team that we, that we built. Um, we're all trying to do that through right now. It's mainly through culture. It's through figuring out how, how can we reinvent what the restaurant industry has typically been, which Mm -hmm. is a, a fallback industry, honestly, for a lot of people and not everyone, but a lot of people Sure. and be a place where, um, typically it's, uh, you can, you can kind of get chewed up and spit out in the restaurant industry. Like, Oh yeah, I did that for a while. That's, that's tough. You know, you, you work real hard, you don't get paid a whole lot and it's, you might get it's treated hard. like crap. Get, exactly. Absolutely. And so, uh, I, I cannot say that we're there yet. I mean, we're not, we're, we're, um, we have plenty of room to go and to sure. grow, but the goal is to really shift a, an entire mindset of what our industry can look like. Yeah. And there are some people doing it well. I think Starbucks is an industry leader in that. Like they're hmm. some of the, some of the things they roll out are incredible, um, for their team members, but, uh, there's not a lot. There's, there's definitely a lot of room and right. most of the big players are not in my mind, not, um, or at least they're doing it the, the way that it's always been kind done. Kind of standard. Yeah. Sure. Kind of status quo. Interesting. Um, can you think of even like, was there like a moment that you can think of like when maybe like you open your first store or like you hit a goal or was there anything that you can be like, remember being like standing there in that moment and being like, I'm, I'm so amazed that I was in this either with these people or that we did this together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the, the one that stands out the most is, uh, is opening our second location five points. So okay. it's in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do we have on this podcast? I could <laughs> right. give you like a three hour story on this. Uh, so when we opened at the first location, I mean, nobody knew who we were. We were throwing something against the wall to see if it would stick. We had a, a banner out front. We didn't even have our sign up when we opened. Mm-hmm. We just kind of unlocked the doors and said, Hey, come check it out if you want right. or not, whatever. Um, and people liked it, but we had this slow ramp up. Right. And so we could kind of, we could kind of build the systems and the infrastructure as you day went. by day. Yeah. Day by day. Sure. Um, Jacksonville was a little different and that was just one of the ways it was challenging is that when we opened the doors, the first day we opened, we actually beat our sales record, all time sales record, at our mills location. Um, but this is coming off the heels of, uh, this location was briefly the story is we, it was the first location that we raised outside money for. And, uh, we, we raised, we did fundraising, which in itself was really difficult. Sure. Um, 
I, I think ignorance is bliss in a lot of these situations because when I look back, like, would I do it again? Would I tell my son to do that? I don't know. I mean, it was really hard. Uh, I, I think knowing how difficult it was, I don't know if I would have done it is what I mean. Uh, or at least I don't know sure. if I would have undertaken it all on my own and said, yeah, we can do it. Let's, you know, we got gusto. We can make it happen. Right. Um, but anyways, we raised money. We, um, we under budgeted the project by about 25%. So ugh. yeah. Ugh. <laughs> so we got three quarters of the way through the build, ran out of money. And this is, we only had one location. So we were, we were really leveraging the entire business on opening the second spot. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it was to the point where, um, basically we had three options. We could either go back to our investors and say, Hey, Mr. Investor, we, uh, ran out of money and unfortunately we're not going to complete the project. Not a good option. Mm -hmm. Option number two is go to your investors and say, Hey, we ran out of money and we need more money to complete the project, but your return is going to be cut in half. Also not a great option. Option three, which is obviously the one we chose was, um, go to our general contractor in the building and say, Hey, Mr. GC, uh, we no longer can pay you. So, um, thank you very much for all the work you did, but see you later. And then, uh, strap on our knee pads and put our goggles on and Whoa, get to work. Okay. And so myself and the other three partners, uh, basically moved to Jacksonville for about three months and completed the build out on our own. Wow. Went through the inspections, lots of YouTubing, lots of favors that we cashed in. Um, I mean, it was wild to, to think that if it's just unbelievable to think that we could pass a mechanical inspection without having on your any, own merits. Yeah. No engineering right. background, no construction background, wow. just like just straight YouTube. And, uh, our construction director now, Mike, who came on board a couple years ago or a year or so ago, he, um, he just laughs at that story every time. Cause he's like, you guys are, he's like half, half amazed and half like what a bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we got it open, but you and, pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we got down to, I mean, we had every personal credit card maxed out. We had, I hadn't taken a paycheck in seven months. Wow. Um, I mean, everything was on the line and it was kind of a, it was a calculated risk. Uh, I can't say that I can't say we expected the risk to be that high, but we knew that we knew that it was a leap of faith in opening a second location because sure. you just don't know what you don't know. Until you're in it. Till, yeah. Yeah. Till, till you need to. For sure. So. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing for sure. that. Yeah. Um, so actually my next question, which might just double on that, but it could be something totally different, which I would love to hear about. Um, one thing about life is that it obviously it's not about, it's not all highs and it's, uh, sometimes we go through pretty low or, you know, dev devastating times. Um, like I've have experienced, um, but has there ever been like a time that was, that did feel like very, um, low or kind of just like, I'm not sure how we're going to get through this. And then how did you kind of like deal with that and then come out on the other side? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think there's, I kind of, I mean, like any, like most guys, I guess this is the typical stereotypical male thing is we compartmentalize. Right. Mm. And so I kind of look at different parts of my life. And I would have different answers to that. Um, I mean, the one that sticks out the most is, uh, is the going, getting through the 2008, uh, issues. And so we, Wayne and I actually, my, one of the partners that, that I grew up with, he mm -hmm. and I actually started a marketing company. He and I both share that entrepreneurial spirit. I think that's where a lot of our friendship comes from and sure. the other partners do too. Um, Wayne and I've just known each other longer, but 
uh, we had, we started a marketing company in, in 2005. It was basically right out of school. Mm-hmm. Long story short, we went to work somewhere for about a year, year and a half. And both were like, not for not us. doing it. Can't mm. do it anymore. Right. I think I went to him one day and I was like, I'm quitting. He's like, okay, I'll quit too. And we, you know, we were 23 and had, I could, I could live on rice and beans and not worry about it. Right. right. Um, now different times. Different. Yeah. But we, we started a marketing company and we actually had a, had made a lot of contacts in the real estate industry. And so a lot of our clients were real estate based clients. And honestly, it was going pretty well. I mean, we, it wasn't, it wasn't incredible. I wasn't driving a Ferrari, but it was booming, like, booming, yeah. yeah, but it was pretty good. Um, and in 2008 happened or 2007, eight. <clears throat> and, um, over about a, I don't know, four to five month period, we lost 80% of our clients and dude, yeah, it was rough. Uh, and, uh, I ended up, this is all. And interestingly, it's funny how life works and how, um, um, uh, fate works or how, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, this also kind of led into the opportunity with hawkers because over that 2008 to 2010 period, I, I, we, we basically retooled as a, a company that was going to help businesses get off the ground to help businesses build brands from the ground up, mm-hmm. which is of course what we ended up doing with hawkers. Right. Um, so we were able to kind of cut our teeth on some client work before that. But before all that happened, I mean, it got to the point where I, I mean, I had to sell my car. I was, I bought a $1,500 oh. Chevy Cavalier on Craigslist, right. which, uh, we actually have a, a, um, a nostalgic, uh, neon up in our, in our office that kind of has, pays homage to some of these different factors in our story. And one right. of them is there's a picture of the Cavalier up there. Uh, we nicknamed it LeBron. It was so horrible. Um, <laughs> it had a light up gear shift though. So that made it all better. Okay. Um, anyway. So yeah, I bought that for $1,500 on Craigslist and yeah. then drove it for about three years. And, uh, you want to guess what I sold it for on Craigslist three years later? Um, more 1500, 1500. Wow. Broke even on a car. Right. Can you believe it? Yeah. So if you ever need to be in the low end, you car use car business, I'm probably You're your guy. guy? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but anyways, that was a, that was, that was the low that yeah. was like, I mean, I went months without getting paychecks. I remember one year I filed taxes for, I'm going to say it was like $13,000. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nothing. I mean like almost nothing. And, um, right. And I think just come, having come from uh, starting a business and kind of feeling the highs of like, wow, like we're doing it, we're really starting a business, mm-hmm. and then just like all of it crashing, crashing. down. Um, and honestly, I like I said, I grew up in a middle class home. I didn't I didn't grow up struggling. If we needed things, we had them comfortable. Yeah, for setting. the most part. If I yeah. wanted something really, I mean, you know, within reason. Like if I if I needed a new computer at home, we got a new computer, right? Um, and I was adamant that I didn't really take help from my parents during this time period. And I never, I've just always been like that. I'm super independent in that way. Mm. But, but, uh, but I wanted to dig out of the hole myself and, um, I don't even know if they would have helped me at that point. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, yeah, that was, a. I guess the point is like, I don't think I would be who I am today without that experience. Um, the kind of that 2008 yeah. all the way up until building hawkers into the kind of 2012, 2013, like, hmm. It was a really hard, dark five years of just putting your head down and grinding, grind, yeah, yeah, just the grind. And I remember working; it was nothing to work eighty-hour weeks. Like that was the norm. Yeah, yeah. So I think all that. So super interesting to see how we 
deal with like, what is a high for us? What is a low for us? How do we get through it? And how kind of, I think how we're created and how innately our personalities, um, help us, uh, in the situations that we have and how we're built. Um, so the Enneagram for me has been a super helpful tool. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, uh, for people that are listening, it's a, just kind of like a roadmap of like a personality roadmap. It has nine different personality types. And then you kind of find yourself within one of those. And then it, I think it gives a pretty comprehensive overview of kind of what motivates you, how you communicate, what's a reward for you. Um, when you're unhealthy, what does it look like when you're healthy? What does it look like? Um, so I have found it super, super useful. And I know that some people, um, do as well. I know that you kind of took the test and you were kind of like, I'm not sure about this or I don't know where I fall into. Um, so you took it and you came out as a one, Mm -hmm. right? A reformer. Mm -hmm. Um, so I took it and I, I took like the test and I came out as a seven and I was like, okay. I was like, I can kind of see that, but I don't know if that's the seven is the enthusiast where they're very excited about all of life and they want to do all the things or there, there can be, pretty like scattered and distractible. Um, but they're also just excited about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, a friend of mine who's a therapist was like, Oh no, you're, you're actually an eight, um, which is the challenger. And I was like, Oh, well I don't want to be an eight. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went back and I read through the eight and I was like, well, damn, did somebody like write this about me? Like, was I in the room when they wrote? I mean, like it's, it was like, so, head on as to kind of like the hmm. full scope of my personality, which I felt was very interesting. So, so one, if you are not exactly sure if that number, the number one is your type, it could just be like you took the test and that was that. I also think it's interesting to ask people who know you well and who are kind of into this thing, like, Hey, like, what do you think about this? Or how do you see me? And you interpret me because you know my life in like mm-hmm. a real personal way. Um, with the one, which is the reformer, um, I think that that's interesting because I see you really, um, so ones, eights and threes are, are pretty similar. So eight is the challenger in, in the sense that, that, that they want to challenge the system and they want to do something that no one's ever done before. So mm-hmm. completely, it's like the Airbnb to the hotel industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the one is, I think, very interesting as to what you're saying and what you're doing is the reformer where it says, I see an industry, but I see how I could do it. I could do it better and I could go in there and reform it and come in and say, this is how we, we optimize this, or here's how we can perfect the system. And so you're coming into an already established industry and making it run smoothly or better or taking it to the next level, mm-hmm. which is interesting. interesting. And then three is the achiever. So a three just says, give me, give me a challenge and I will surpass it. What's the goal? I'm going to crush that. It, it could be selling cars. It could be changing diapers. It could be like I'm doing all those things. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, it's interesting to kind of hear your, your take on that and yeah. maybe, um, interesting to know how kind of knowing yourself within the context of the work that you do, like how that informs Mm-hmm. like the work that you do or how you operate within that system. Mm-hmm. Would you kind of agree that like those things characterize your personality? Um, yes. Okay. Um, I think all three of the ones you just mentioned, I, I have 
pieces of all three of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, on different days, I relate to different ones. Um, I really feel it's been interesting. Um, I think that, I think that we, we adapt to a certain extent. We adapt as we go through life to the circumstances that we're in. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there is a, there's a deep rooted entrepreneurial vibe in me, like right. this entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. that honestly, um, and this sounds really negative, but it's not, but I've had to kind of suppress it a little bit over the last few years. And what I mean by that is when we first started Hawkers, this was pure entrepreneurialism. This was like, this is really what you were laying the floors. Yeah. You were right doing the marketing. Yeah. You were like, this is what I really get jazzed about. That's mm. like what, uh, that's like my, my, you know, deep rooted, like if I could do one thing every day, and it wasn't incredible risk all the time, like starting a business is, it would mm-hmm. be starting something new every single day. Now there's another whole part of me that feels a heavy discipline. And this kind of goes back to like our, my upbringing that we talked about. And I feel that, um, successful people are able to discipline that and able to, 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 to kind of compartmentalize that and put it where it's needed, mm-hmm. but then able to also set it, set it aside when, when needed and say, okay, right now is not the time to flex those muscles right now. We have something that's really amazing that needs to be right in front of you. Right. That right. needs to be like sharpened and honed. And, and I think that's where it's funny. Cause I talk to people and I've had people ask me, um, you know, do you feel like, are you even title wise that I'm a co-founder slash CEO? And mm-hmm. they'll ask me like, well, are you, are you really a founder or are you really a CEO? Hmm. And I think that I've made the transition into really being a CEO, which is why I think now when I, when I answer those questions, it's more through a CEO lens. Whereas five mm-hmm. years ago, man, it was wild west. It was like <laughs> anything goes like the, the most exciting of exciting, you know, but, um, I just see a need for stability. And you could work on building it from the ground up, mm-hmm. which is what you really love to do. Mm-hmm. And more so is like, this is a puzzle. We got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but I also find, I, I find incredible value in like the stability and the discipline of, um, like I said, of honing something and taking something that's, I, that's, that's what's interesting is as much as I love that beginning piece of it. Mm-hmm. I also, one of the things I, I just can't, live with myself about is leaving something 80%. That's so, so I, funny. I want it to finish. I want it to cross the finish. Yeah. Right. Cause my next question was going to be like, do you, do you see yourself sometimes, um, bordering on kind of like perfectionist as far as like, Oh yeah. Right. Oh man. So if it is Real not bad. done a hundred percent or better then it's why it's do it? Done. Yeah. Right. It's not done. You're so a one. Am I? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I always, I, I joke around, Jill's going to kill me, but I joke around with my wife about it and I'll say, um, part of, <laughs> I probably shouldn't even say this part of, I'll say, you know, part of drinking a Coke or a drink or whatever mm-hmm. is to, is when the can is empty, you take that can and you put it in the garbage can. That's part of the process of drinking the drink. The process doesn't end when you finish the drink and leave the can on the table. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she, like, she obviously, it's like a joke we have at the house, but. Um, but it is like, that is like the perfectionist nature in me is like, yeah. no, we got to finish this. We All the way through. We, um. I was in this, this men's so group not too long ago uh-huh. and we divided ourselves into people who are, who finish books, even if we hate books, mm-hmm. even if you're halfway through and you hate it, are you going to finish are, it? Mm-hmm. I'm a finisher. Me um, too. But, but plenty of half the group was like, why waste your time? If you hate the book and you're not mm-hmm. finding value, then put it away and pick up a, a different one and I just can't do it. Just can't do Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. 
I think we pegged you correctly. <laughs> um, so something that I was thinking about uh, was actually alluding a little bit to what you had mentioned early, but I think that it's uh, from what I have known of Hawkers is that you have really um, built such a broad team. And it seems that from the interactions that I've had that like it's a very healthy work environment and that people really enjoy working there, which is not always the case when I've seen in, you know, restaurant structures, um, which I find really refreshing um, in that regard. And this might be something that is a little bit too personal. If it is like totally fine, we can totally edit this out. But um, (laughs) I would love to hear a little bit about like, how do you approach like conflict resolution? Um, you have such Mm -hmm. a big team or like setting healthy goals and boundaries, like for your team to have a Mm -hmm. healthy work environment. I think that's something that nobody wants to like, you know, address on the front end, but then Mm -hmm. things, things can become messy on the back end. And then if you want to like have people work for you and enjoy it, you know, there's gotta be some kind of like, better than Michael Scott's conflict resolution. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm a huge office fan, so I don't know. Yeah. What are some things that you put into place for like a healthy work environment? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll see you're taking it personally and raise you. Okay. Um, so I used to, uh, I used to be, I, people are typically either trans transactionally, um, motivated or they're relationally motivated. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, uh, there's different terminology people use, but I used to be a, like everything is logic and everything is transactional. And, mm-hmm. um, honestly, like in some, I can say now today that I think I used to look at it as sometimes people just get in the way of getting things done. Um, Fair I know that sounds really terrible, but right. that's kind of like, I, I don't think I was intentionally saying that, but that was kind of the, the feeling inside. I was like, gosh, how can I just get these people to like, like, just, just move. Just let me do it. You know what I mean? Like, that was sort of the, the frustrating mm-hmm. um, part of it. And uh, Jillian, my wife, was actually the one that has, like, really helped me turn the corner on that. And she she is the complete opposite. She is completely relationship-focused. Sure. And, uh, and, I, and, and when I first, when we were first dating, I remember thinking, like, um, some of those personality traits I used to look at as uh, almost like weaknesses. Mm. And... And then I've, I've come of course full circle to realize that these are, these are strengths that I don't have and that I want to get better at. Right. And I would see how she interacts with people and how she cares about people and the the way she makes decisions through the lens of, um, how's this affecting somebody else? Exactly. Sure. And, uh, it was, um, for whatever, I think there was a number of reasons. I think part of it was, I was kind of coming out of that, that like grind of work for about five years and kind of in a dark spot. And I was so self-absorbed about, I just got to get out of this. Like, I just got to, I got to find my place. I wasn't even worried about anybody else. Right. And she really helped me to see that, um, it's not about me and that, um, being other centered really kind of is on the road to success. I mean, it's very rare that you see successful people that are not, uh, team oriented. They're Mm -hmm. not like building culture that are not doing it together with somebody else. Almost never. Sure. Um, so that's the real personal side. Um, coming out of that over the last, and that was probably, I don't know, in the last seven years, maybe I've kind of come to that, turn that corner a bit. And I, and it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like going to the gym the first few times in the mm. first like year where I was like really trying to like really care more about people. It was like almost like a discipline, like, uh, you know what, let me, let me take a second. Let me like think about how this will affect other people. 
Um, and then it got to the point where just like going to the gym or running or whatever, where it felt weird, weird not doing it Mm -hmm. where like now it's like, well, I don't, I don't know how I've even operated before. More second nature. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can't even imagine like, and people that, that know me pretty well or that, that maybe have only gotten to know me in the last six or seven years are shocked when they hear that I used to be that way. Cause I, I was, I was a totally different person. Um, Mm. and so I have, I have Joel to thank for that, but all that to say, um, leading up to like culture in the workplace, I think to me, and this, this is maybe a balance of the two is, um, there's a book called radical candor. I don't know if you've heard it. I've heard of it. I have not read it. The premise is like, you don't sugarcoat things. You personally care about people, but you also hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where, when you talk about conflict resolution, whether it's in the workplace or anywhere else, I, I think it's healthy. You just you just have to confront it head on. Say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I really disagreed with the way you did this, and blah blah blah. But but if you invested in their emotional bank account and you've told them over time, hey, care about thank you. you for doing that. Yeah. Hey, you're awesome. Hey, you're doing great at this. Hey, I can't imagine somebody else in your role. You're so fantastic. When you have to have that conversation about, hey, I really didn't appreciate how you did this, or hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like you're not really putting forth the effort I need in this project, or mm-hmm. hey, you know, whatever it might be, um, it's received in the right light versus just like, oh, who's this guy coming out of nowhere trying to tell me what to do? Right. And so I think it's just about if you just, you know, our mantra is be disruptive, always care, never compromise, hmm. and we. Um, we put always care at the center because it doesn't matter how disruptive you are, how, how much you innovate, and it doesn't matter how hard you work on the, you know, the never compromise side. If it's not centered on a culture of caring about each other, mm. then when it gets tough, it's just going to be a house of cards. You're going to be pointing sure. fingers and the blame game and all that stuff. Um, so that's a long answer to a short No. Box. I am glad that you were up for it. So you never know. Um, that is beautiful. So for those that don't know, could you give us like um, a kind of a brief glimpse into your role at Hawkers and what you do there? Sure. So um, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, I, I formally took over as CEO. Um, so I, I mean, really, I'm, I'm in charge of all the day-to-day business of running the stores. Um, I, I shouldn't say running the stores managing a team that mm-hmm. <laughs> operates the stores, managing a team that builds the new stores, managing a team that, and so my, there are people that report to me are what I call kind of our five pillars of our, of our business, which are HR, uh, finance, marketing operations, of course, is a big one and, um, development or construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just kind of added that fifth element as we started to grow and we realized, wow, this is building restaurants and opening restaurants is a much different business than just operating restaurants two very different skill sets that a business like, has to have. Yeah. Construction, real estate angle. Yeah. yeah. I, I always say we pick the two worst industries to be in restaurant business and construction. <laughs> <Right>. business. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, day to day, I mean, um, it really varies. It's based on, uh, I, I think that sadly in a lot of organizations, they, they use the term shit rolls downhill um, we've tried to reverse that and take a lot of accountability as you go up the org chart. And so for us, I'd like to think shit rolls uphill if that's even physically yeah. possible. <laughs> um, but I think that the point is, uh, usually my day is taking whatever the hardest part of, of people that are reporting to me, whatever mm-hmm. their hardest challenge is and helping them get through it. And so it's, it's developing, it's partnering, honestly, like, okay. I mean, when I look at, the people that report to me and really even the report people that report to them. Um, and probably further down the line than that, I can't do any of their job better than they can do their job. 
That's why, that's why they're there. They're that's why that they're hired. Visit, yeah. Yeah. But what I can do is I can help them identify, number one, I can help them talk through problems and, mm-hmm. and potential solutions and be a sounding board and sometimes a therapist. And, um, <laughs> and uh, number two is I can help them identify areas that are, um, that they can develop in further sure. and hopefully provide them some resources to try to get there. That's a lot. Ah. So it's been pretty exciting to see Hawkers grow and in your role as CEO, um, what are some of the things that come easiest to you and what, what are some things that are like the most challenging that you're like, Oh, you put it on the back burner, but you eventually have to do it. Like what is, mm-hmm. what is a, what's like your natural, a natural, um, natural stuff for me is strategy. I, I love like, uh, trying to, somebody on our team puts it well, trying to look around corners, trying to see what's ahead, trying to foresee, I mean, something we've been talking a lot about is, um, the economy, what's going to happen in the next mm-hmm. 12 to 18 months. And I think, you know, it's getting more and more real that, that, uh, a downturn could be inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not, but you know, that's, a, that's kind of the things that come naturally to me because like forethought and kind of that playing that chess game is, it's just what I love. Like that's, that's what I love doing. Um, the hardest parts, I mean, tough conversations are never fun. Sure. You know, um, never. And, um, I would say, I mean, I think the people part, I think the people part of any business is the hardest part. At least it is for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, I'll be the first one to say that I think a lot of people are in management that shouldn't be in management. I think management is a huge responsibility that is taken too lightly in our, in most organizations. And mm. it's just like, Oh, well, you're, you're a pretty good server. Why don't you be a manager? Right. Or you're pretty the next good. natural step is to put you in that position, right. but maybe it's not the right, doesn't fit the, mm-hmm. the natural, um, strengths that they have. Exactly. Sure. Fair um, enough. so yeah, I think, uh, for me, that's definitely the people part is definitely the hardest part. It's, it's cause it's every, because they're not, people are not a, a Rubik's cube. They're not a problem to be solved, right? They're mm. all different. They all have unique strengths and weaknesses and, um, you can't quote fix them. Right. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be a lot easier if you could. Right. But, if uh, there was one solution that you could just yeah, stamp on everybody. Exactly. Right? Like, Oh, let me just flip <laughs> this switch over here and oh, look, he's Solves doing that. the right thing now. Right. Um, totally. So unfortunately it doesn't work like that. So it's a, it's a long yeah. drawn out process of helping, you know, develop people, grow people. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So the final topic is, is my personal favorite topic, but I know, um, it's something, um, so the final topic is rest, which is something that I don't think people talk about enough or do enough. Um, and I think the purpose of rest or a Sabbath, right, is stopping. So you're kind of stopping, stepping back, um, resting, renewing, restore discovery, uh, so that you can offer your best self to the world and to your community and then to your, you know, your workplace in that way. Um, what are some practices that you have adopted, um, for you to be able to retreat and, and rest and renew? I'm not good at this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is, if this is part of being CEO, this is the part I struggle with the most, I guess. Um, I'm really not good at it. I'm, okay. I'm trying really hard. That's hmm. something that is actively, uh, it's so it's like so ironic to say that I'm actively trying to rest, but I really am. It's not in my nature to to rest. I'm okay. kind of a busybody, and right. when I'm at home, I'm more comfortable cooking or doing the dishes than I am sitting on the couch sitting usually. On the couch. 
but the problem is like, I know that I need it and I, and I know, um, the, the more responsibilities we get in life, the more we need that, those breaks, right? The mental whether, rest. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's work or family Physical. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I mean, to me, I don't know that it has to be, I don't know that it has to be inactive. And so like mm-hmm. for me, like I, for me, like, like sure. going on a bike ride is, is rest to me. Mm. I know that it's, you know, I know that it's active, no, yeah. but it's, it's a mental rest. Like I can completely zone out right. and, and it's kind of a mental and emotional break, even though physically I'm exerting. And what's really funny is, is the days that I'm physically active, man, I sleep so great that night. Mm-hmm. Right. And the days that I'm not, my head's kind of spinning a little bit and I'm kind of like waking up at 2am. Like, oh, yeah, I got to do that thing tomorrow. Or, sure. And so, um, even though it's, and, and rest can be, rest maybe is a, a pretty bigger general term, but you know, within that there's, there's the discovery and there's play and mm-hmm. there's physical resting. And okay. so, yeah, rest can look very, I think, different, um, for everybody mm-hmm. in, in the sense of, um, what, what, it, what, so I guess another question would be like, what would be your like absolute dream day of like rest or a day off or where you're like, I have a day to do whatever I want. It could mm. be in Orlando or not. But like this would fill me up, fill my tank up so that I get to be mm-hmm. like alive and I get to like be excited instead of like I've worked seven days straight. Like, yeah. I, you know, I can't yeah. go one more day without like physically resting. Well, I'm a high functioning introvert. So okay. it involves being by myself. Dang, you're an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it would be because I. I mean, I love, I love, love, love time with my family, but it, it is also, um, it, it's, um, uh, it's work it's, it's not work, but it's, it's t- whatever it's, it, it requires effort. I mm-hmm. guess you would say it. If you want to be intentional about any relationship, it requires effort, right? Sure. So I feel like the perfect day would be wake up, hang out with my son a little bit, have breakfast with my wife. And then in this magical place, the, uh, there's a cabin in the woods that's across the street Okay, and I would go to sure. the, that cabin in the woods for uh, the rest of the day. And I would, um, I would think I would probably write, mm-hmm. I would, uh, I would probably pray. Um, that really like, like my spiritual life really fills me and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think, I think that's another thing I don't make enough time for. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably be the three things. Yeah. Think, write, pray. Okay. Isn't that a book? Eat, pray, love. Oh. Very close. Okay. Yeah. I would eat too, so. Sure. Two or three. Two or three. I guess I'm loving my family. I think it would be that book. Yeah. I don't know what that book's about, but it sounds like me. Okay. On a perfect day. Right. All those things sound amazing. Um, that is awesome. So we are um, wrapping up, but one final thought. Is there any piece of like life wisdom that you would share with us? something that you try um, to follow mantra? I guess the two things that maybe I could say I've learned that I would pass on one is, um, humility. And that's something that I've, I'm still learning the hard way. Like yeah. I feel like all the time it's easy to get sucked into things are going well and look at all this cool stuff I'm doing and look how great I am. And, um, and I think that the second that you fall into that trap, um, um, you start to be blinded by it. So humility would be one. And then the other one would just be intentionality. And it's just this idea of like, That's I think, good. I think we should live. And again, this is something I also struggle with. So these are the two things that I'm always like <laughs> working work on, on. Yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, it's trying to be in the moment, trying to be present in the moment, trying to, 
this is a big one since I've, since we've grown our family and we have our son now, like, mm-hmm. um, I can't, I can't be on my phone and be with my son, right? I can't be, um, looking at the daily sales report or the daily reviews and be spending time with Judah and, and Jill. Mm-hmm. And so like really being able to say, you know what, I'm putting it down. I'm not going to do this now. I'm going to, I'm going to invest in this, in these relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just that, that's the easy example, but I mean, the same thing goes for yeah. one-on-one touch bases. Like, am I really like in the one-on-one conversation with my team member or am I thinking about some other problem that I have that I should be focusing on or I think I should be focusing on? So being intentional, being yeah. intentional and humble. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a rap song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> sounds like a, sounds tough. Sounds tough. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, so thank you for a million times for yeah. spending some time with me and just um, sharing a little bit of your story. And so if we were to find you, Hawkers, how would we find like on the socials and on the web? Like how do we how do we find Hawkers? Yeah, we would go to at uh, Eat Hawkers okay. on the Insta, mm-hmm. the Gram. The Gram. Yeah. Um, on and there. And we would also go to um, Facebook and okay. we would type in Hawkers and it would pop up. There's a little search bar at the top for those of you that haven't used Facebook before. Heard of it, heard of it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. It's I think it'll I think it's gonna do pretty well actually, okay. Facebook. We'll see. Um, and then eTalkers.com if you want to check our website. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate you so much for all that you do for our community and for being here and supporting me and what I'm doing. So um yeah, cheers. Thanks for being here. Yeah, cheers. Thank you so much for having me and delicious cocktail. You have a, a whole nother um career in the making. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 